Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the revitalized Teletext R Podcast. Much like a washed up 80s rock star who's run out of cash to pay his TV license, the Teletext R Podcast has returned for a new decade of text and bugs and remote controls. Which is like sex and drugs and rock and roll, only a lot teletextier. We're pleased to report that Teletext is still going strong, featuring on televisions across Europe and the internet, thanks to TFAX and Raspberry Pi. More meetups and events are planned, where Teletext will continue to be created and celebrated throughout 2020 and beyond. I'm one of your hosts, one half of the Teletext R podcast. My name is Dan Ferryman. And with me here is my able co-host and partner in Teletext Crime. Uh, Sorry, I've forgotten your name. What was it again? Oh, yes. My name's Cole, and I am on Twitter at at that other Cole, with the underscores in between the that and the other. And uh, yes, I'm co-hosting with Dan, and it's absolutely brilliant to be back, Dan. I mean, 2017, not a lot's happened since the last time we recorded, eh? No, not really. Which is why this is the end of this particular episode of the Teletext Star Podcast. Good night. Good night. You're at this episode's page 100 Teletext Star Index. 102 is Teletext News. 180 is Events. Page 200 is the Teletext Star Community. Page 310 is In Depth. And 400 is Feedback and Contacting Us. You'll find all the program notes at page 199. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. And remember, keep it blocky. I can watch anything from behind the scenes at BBC Drama to Glastonbury on the BBC's new channel, BBC Choice. I can keep up with BBC News 24 hours a day. I can surf between the TV and the internet. Well, I've got to keep up with the gossip, haven't I? And one day, everything will be in widescreen, not just the movies. I'll be able to see radio. I'll even be able to interact with my television. Could you pass the salt, please, darling? It's all jolly exciting, isn't it? BBC Digital. The adventure starts here. Call us for more information. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. While the Teletext R podcast is back, unfortunately, a certain Teletext service is nearing the end of its serviceable life. And we're talking about the BBC Red Button service. But the question is... Are you lamenting its demise, or saying good riddance to the bastard son of Teletex that actually killed CFAX? Is it going to be sorely missed by those most in need, or is it an unnecessary expense in the age of smartphones and round-the-clock rolling news feeds? Carl, what do you think about this development? I think there's a couple of things at play here. Some people aren't using the new version of the red button because it's not CFAX, so they're not using it at all. 
and there's also a thing at play where there's a, a device there that's being used to bash the BBC for having this interactive service and then they're getting bashed again for taking it away. It's a no-win situation for the BBC, but it's, it's another prime example of um, they're trying to streamline their budgets for whatever reason by removing something that nobody else is offering anymore in the UK. So it's not good riddance from me, that's uh. for sure. No, and neither from I, actually. So we've got a quote from Matthew Postgate, the BBC's chief tech and product officer, who said that, Unfortunately, to keep the red button services would require significant technical effort and cost, and would come at the expense of investing in other services. So that's specifically talking about the teletext services. It's been thrown around that the text and video services cost £39 million a year to run. I think people, like you say, are using this as a stick to beat the teletext service with. Don't forget that the video services are going to cost the vast majority of that £39 million. I should imagine the teletext service itself is basically run out of a single office with one dude and a printer. He's sitting there with a cigar. He has nothing to do most of the time because it's all automated. There's an automated service whereby the red button service pulls info from the website, from the pool of journalistic articles. It surprises me. I don't know, unless actually yeah. there are a lot of hidden costs. With the statement you read out from Matthew Poskate, the thing that really leapt out at me there was it said that there's a significant technical effort and cost. For some reason, that's a reason to discontinue something. Well, I'll, you know, I'll challenge anyone where something decent doesn't take significant technology, expertise and cost. But they're basically saying in that, and this is where we go back to the thing where they don't help themselves, Dan saying, well, it's too much effort to actually do something. Well, that's not what broadcasting's about. I mean, at one point, it was too much effort to synchronise your clocks at train stations throughout Great Britain. At one time, it was too much effort maybe to put pictures over the air when you've got radio. They're using that as a reason to actually say, oh, well, well we're not going to do it. So is this really, is this an intrinsic thing where they're looking to dumb down the news, where they're only actually going to be reading out press releases from companies or political parties and just sort of being a megaphone for people rather than using any significant technical ability, expertise or cost to actually educate the people that they've got. It seems to be they're using this as a race to the bottom and people are swallowing it. What you just said there sounded quite scary, 1984-esque, but... What I actually think is happening here is they've been looking for a reason to shut down the Teletext service for a long time, and it was just kept around as a goodwill gesture to the few people that still used it. So maybe this latest attempt to get rid of the Teletext services is more of a test to see how many people do actually still use it. It was mooted in 2010 that the teletext service was looking a bit old-fashioned then. We have a quote here from David Silito, BBC Media and Arts correspondent, who said that the red button was, even in 2010, looking a bit old-fashioned and it wasn't cheap. That was a time when CFAX and the red button service coexisted. I remember that that old 
primitive red button service was a bit rubbish and took ages to load up, even slower than Teletext it was at that time. It's a bit it was strange. an enhanced Teletext, wasn't it? It was an enhanced Teletext and it enhanced all the worst things about it. Update times and being rather difficult to navigate. Mm. I definitely used the red button service in the year... It would have been the year 2003 or four, But back then it was called something else, I think. Not the red button service. BBC Interactive. BBC I. Yeah, BBC yeah. I. Let's stick an eye after everything, yes. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but there used to be a service on Virgin Media where they allowed you access to very limited internet services, like a couple of websites that have been adapted to view on television, specially adapted, and simple email services, stuff like that, that you could use on television. I remember thinking those were the height of technology. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, yeah. Well, they were though, and that's the thing. And but that again comes back to the lure of teletext. It is a computer in your television. We can look back at that now and go, yeah, it looks rather archaic. But you know, if, if you've got nothing before it, then it is certainly cutting edge. I think the drive at the time for getting like internet browsers and all that optimized to um, a very low resolution CRT screen was one of the remits that the cable companies got to get their cables to houses. I think that was one of their remits was to get people online and get them connected. Because at the time, you were still looking at for an internet capable um, PC and paying to be connected via a phone line, it was still a significant cost. So I can I can see the reasoning behind that. So it was probably, let's get the programs in, then we'll put a token effort out there just to say that we've ticked our social remit to um, justify cabling up this street. What the boys are trying to tell you is that the picture and sound quality of digital television is stonking. And I'm sure that Phil and Malcolm here in the digital transmission area will agree with that. Absolutely. You might say to me, Kay, I'm quite happy with what I've got. Well, answer me this. If I said, trade me your CD collection to go back to vinyls, would you do it? Crackle, crackle, hiss, hiss. I don't think so. So, you've got crystal clear sound. You've got these lovely, lovely wide, widescreen pictures. But never mind the whiz. You want quality programmes. Well, according to David Silito again, Ten years ago, 12 million people a week would use the red button. That's quite a large number. He goes on to say, Nearly 80% of adults now own a smartphone. However, he conveniently doesn't say how many people still use the red button service. He, he either neglects to say, or they just don't have access to a reliable figure on that. Yeah, they're giving you the nuggets that actually justify the argument without actually giving you the like for like later on. I mean, 8% of adults, I would, I'd like to know where they got that information from. Do you know, that's not actually saying that those adults would actually phone for any news or anything at all because they'd go home and watch it. 8% of adults now have a phone, which means they can make mobile phone conversations on the move. That's all I can take from that. Well, what about those people who don't have smartphones and don't have the internet? They've forgotten 20%, Dan. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones who are actually petitioning for the red button service to stay online or stay on our televisions. The National Federation of the Blind UK were instrumental in petitioning the BBC to get the red button service back online. 
it was due to close down at the end of January. However, we are very pleased to report that it has been saved for the time being. Yeah, I think it's more of a, it's a flexing of the muscles. I think the other thing you could say is probably like a salad cream moment. Nobody likes salad cream, but when Heinz threatened to take it away, it, it flies off the shelves. So that's where I'm sort of thinking, yeah, okay, well, let's be the tourists for the change. Let's actually swallow that and go, right, okay, they are going to take it away. Let's use it. Let's use it and see what it's got. You know, I don't think we want our um, millennial friends to be making podcasts in 20 years' time about how they lament the loss of something that they never use. So let's not get in that position again. Let's use this button. They might lament the switch-off of certain video game servers, which I'm already doing, because things like that, if you compare them to teletext, they stay online for a very, very short period of time, and then they're forcibly shut down after a couple of Mm. years, even Mm. though people still might use the other one. There are commercial interests at play. Oh, we've got to ship out the next game, we've got to sell people the new game, and get them online with that, forcing people to update and update and update and pay again for the latest, in inverted commas, version of the game. I'm thinking particularly of FIFA, FIFA soccer, FIFA football, the game, where they make very, very small changes from year to year and then close down the previous year's online servers so you have to buy the new game. Yeah, it's an inbuilt obsolescence, Dan. Um, That's it, yes. That's probably the toughest thing with a system like Teletext. I mean, yeah, it might have cost a few quid to actually get up and running, but it's very much like a railway line. When it's down and it's in, you've only got to pay for the train to go up and down and the staff to run it. There's no inbuilt obsolescence in that. It's only when it packs up you need to replace it, maybe. But the Teletext technology is nowhere near packing up. So what they now do is, like you say, they have to update things and keep things going, make tweaks here and there to make their own problems. With phones especially, Apple have been known to force updates on older phones to make them uh, pack up quicker. I've not had a lightning cable that's lasted more than four or five months because they use low-grade things just to keep us consuming the bits and pieces. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think innovation is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we are lamenting a service being turned off, you know, at some point, the red button service. And it is technically superior. I mean, if we did see that back in the time when we only had Bamboozle, Teletext in the early 90s, we'd been absolutely blown away by it. Innovation is absolutely brilliant. To kill something off when there's no reason is highly questionable and going back to the steam train analogy where you've got enthusiasts running things out the goodness of their hearts well they're not costing a lot of money Dan they're volunteers mostly but if you want to put an HS2 railway line next to it to replace the one that was closed down and now run by enthusiasts you're looking at billions of pounds so you're saying give teletext the old teletext not the red button service were to be brought back That would cost millions, even though the technology is now slightly outdated and probably a bit cheaper than current technology, for the fact that you could probably internetize. You could switch it online, as in Peter Kwan's TFAX service. Indeed, yeah. uh, yeah. But that, again, is your expertise is lost. If you skip five years on something that's running commercially, you've got to start all over again. That expertise is now gone. We're just really lucky to have people like Peter who have stayed in and and decided to run these things out of their own pocket. Which is fantastic, and we're in great debt to people like that, the enthusiasts who keep things like this going. 
and the people who keep things like old computers going, the old microcomputers, not only are they playing games, but they're also making lots of programs still, the homebrew scene. So it remains to be seen really whether the Red Button service in particular will pass into the same sort of folklore. I don't think it'll be well known in the same way that CFAX was. Like I said, it was more of an afterthought that they kept around, not necessarily iconic. In fact, some people still call it CFAX, still call it Teletext. In the official petition, which I have in front of me here, it specifically terms this service as a Teletext service. Technically, I think it's like an interactive service or something, but everybody knows it as Teletext. The official petition is called Save the BBC Red Button Teletext Service, which, yeah, indicates that people still know it as Teletext. But it's a, it's a generic term now. You know, often people do conflate Teletext with information that's just coming off the telly. So, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way of doing it. If they just called it the Red Button Service, I bet they'd have less signatories. Teletext Fact. The world's first Teletext system caveman text boasted page loading times of 5 minutes, known as chisel efficiency. Teletext Fact. During the winter of discontent to save on bytes, television viewers were limited to 3 Teletext pages a day. Teletext Facts. You can make your own Teletext decoder out of a milk bottle, two toilet roll centres and a pen lid. In Teletext R News, the Teletext R podcast yep. has actually been mentioned by a Spanish website. Really? Yes. And I'm going to try and find oh. that now. Okay, excellent. While you do that, shall we mention a couple of events that are coming up? Absolutely, um, that would be good. So there's two events that I would like to mention. There's a There seems to be a block party coming up in the West Country. And also, Mr. Biffo's going for it with the Chunky Fringe again this year. I can get you some details of the Chunky Fringe thing straight off at the moment. And um, as we're recording, he's absolutely going in a paddy for tickets. He wants to see if we're all going or not. So if you do want to get tickets for the Digitizer Live, it is actually going with Chunky Fest. So you will see some of us there. I'm trying to get down and do a bit of recording anyway for this podcast. That is July the 25th. The evening of retro gaming comedy, fun and chaos from The Mind of Mr. Biffo featuring Paul Gannon, Fat Sal, Venus and many more special guests. Included with tickets for Digitizer Live is Chunky Fringe. That's the bit we like, guys. A series of talks, panels and demonstrations with a digitizer and a retro tech theme running throughout the day. Further details will be posted on www.digitizer2000.com close to the time, as will additional info on the show itself. The bar will be open basically, so that would be good. Right now, so where you need to go is Harrow Art Centre, Uxbridge Road, Hatch Ends, and that's Hotel Alpha 5 4 Echo Alpha. 
but you've got to buy some tickets to turn up and you can have the tickets either on the phone or you can print them out but if you go to the digitizer site that will then take you to the link to buy the tickets the tickets are by the looks of it they're going to be 20 notes but it will be an all dayer because you'll be coming to the chunky fringe as well so yes get there while it's hot the time runs for the digitizer so between 6 30 and 9 p.m the chunky fringe we will give you information of that as and when that updates as well but if you buy a ticket for that you'll be going to the chunky fringe as well so save the date guys indeed and i'm looking forward to that very much i don't know if i'll be able to make it but we'll see what happens okay so Another event that we've got coming up, Dan, is the Block Party 2020. That's held at St Margaret's Hall, Cheltenham. This is on the 25th and the 26th of April. Block Party is a weekend gathering for all fans of Teletext, old technology and big pixels. Block Party is a free event with no ticket required and is open to the general public. The idea is uh, nicked from Dan, Dan Farriman, who is too busy to complain. How about that, Dan? Uh, what, Block wait, what, Party... what, what, what? What, 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 what? What, what? <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, so he stole the block party idea from you, so he's just admitting that. That's okay, because I stole the block party idea from you. Well, that's okay. I'll let you have it so you can give it to our man, so that's quite fine. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Oh, well, gladly. Like most things, it's like Teletext Star, oh, that don't belong to nobody, and nor does block party, so that's absolutely fine. When we're running a Teletext service of £39 million a year, we might, <laughs> we might start nicking some IP back, guys, but um, until then, everything's free. No worries. And this is absolutely brilliant because when we've organised things, it's sort of, obviously, you know, we're a bit selfish. We like it where we live. We've had Wigan, we've had Cambridge, and now this one is in Cheltenham. So it's the um, the annex of the St Margaret's Hall in Cheltenham has been booked out for it. It's got facilities there for a projector. There's ample space for 20 kit-laden exhibitors plus 15 visitors. So please let me know if you're considering attending so that I can keep an eye on the numbers. The equipment could be left on the venue overnight. For those travelling by car, it's on Junction 11 of the M5. There's plenty of parking and if you're going by a public transport, you'll be able to get there with good links as well. There's a travel lodge nearby, so if you wanted to uh, you know, make a day out of it, take the good lady out and have a look around Cheltenham as well, that could be done. And who's going to be there? David Walford. So this is the guy, the guy who's nicked your block party idea. Uh, he'll be bringing some ZX Spectrum development work, that'd be really cool. I think he's on uh, Twitter as well, so it's worth a follow. Block party welcomes all visitors and exhibitors, but children must be held on a leash. If you're interested in showing your own work at Block Party or would like to join the mailing list, then get in touch. And you can do that by contacting him. You can go to the site Arbitrary Files. Yes, that's arbitraryfiles.co.uk. Guest list to be confirmed, but if you'd like to keep up to date, there is a mailing list. Thank you very much for those events, Carl. And in the meantime, I have found the mention that a certain Spanish article has made for the Teletext R podcast. Would you like to hear it? Yes, do we have any sort of Spanish music to play in the background for this? It would be pointless me reading this out to you unless you understood Spanish. It's in Spanish! Hey! <laughs> but I can roughly translate. Uh, yeah, okay. Hello, Raquel. Is, she, is Raquel Spanish? I believe she is. Yes, she, she is. Hola. Oh, maybe Hola. we should. Come a star. 
We should get Raquel in to read this for us in yes, Spanish. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Raquel, if you're listening, we need this voiced up. Yeah. And this well, could be a testimonial for our show. I haven't yet put it through Google Translate, but from looking at the pictures, I can see that Teletext R has been mentioned in this article, which focuses on how Teletext can live on, and you can make your own Teletext after the Teletext switch-off. Because I presume around about the time that this article was posted, 30th of December 2019, one of the Spanish Teletext services was shut down, I think. No. I, I think it was, I believe, from memory. But down at the bottom of the article, which also includes mentions for Galax Text, the retro Teletext font, is a mention for the Teletext R podcast. However, it says that it had been abandoned a long time ago, unfortunately. Long, but not for long, then. Or yes. no, it's, it's right, but not for long. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> Hello to all our Spanish listeners. How are you doing? Hola, Spanish listeners, we're back. But yes, thank you very much to Hypertextual.com, I forgot to say. Hypertextual.com did the article, and it's called... Añoras el estilo del teletexto. Con estas fuente y herramientas podrás recrearlo en tu página web. That was my attempt at Spanish good attempt in Spanish. Very good. Yeah, we have lots of nice pictures as well. We've got a picture of the Edit TF editor, we've got a picture of the Galax Text font, and also, of course, Mr. Alistair Cray's fantastic Teletext page editor, the ZX editor. We shall go into more depth on the Teletext editors in another nugget for another time. They're really good and easy to use now, so we'll, we will do that as well. Excellent. It's nice to know that we're uh, getting our word out there. <laughs> a bit like the teletext screens that are being recovered. Our podcasts, our earlier podcasts, are now being sort of like dug up and uh, listened to. People have got their heads in their hands all over the world, <laughs> listening to them right now. I, I shudder to think, Carl, honestly, I shudder to think. <laughs> well, we're going to save our listeners the uh, agony of having to listen to all of our shows, un unless they want to, which is really good. But we will be having classic archives fe uh, featured throughout the shows that we're doing at the moment. So we will have a From the Archives section, and that will appear uh, on a page in your menu for you guys to, to open up and uh, relive some of them classics that we've done in the past. Classic moments such as that time we went to the block party. And I ate an apple while you showed me around the computer museum. My legendary interview with uh, Jason Grim Fandango when we were walking from somewhere in Cambridge to yes. somewhere else in Cambridge. Uh, yeah, we were going yes. to Pizza Hut, I think, getting a bite to eat for everybody. And we stood. Yeah, well, yeah, for, for more people than others, obviously. But uh, yes. Yeah. And also that moment in the bar where we bumped into the Bad Apple crew. Who, oh, um, yes. That's there documented as well. So, yeah, there'll be loads of bits and pieces like that coming up. We did actually record some stuff from the last block party in Wigan. And we'll see if we can dig that up and include segments of that. So, listen out. Yes. Listen to this space. Yeah. More is to come on the Teletag Star Podcast. 
Welcome back, Teletext Star listeners. At this point, we'd like to, as usual, give a big shout-out to you, the Teletext crew. Namely, anybody dabbling in Teletext technology, art, or simply listening to this podcast today. We've all collected over at the Teletext Facebook group, which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash Teletext group. That's all one word. And I believe one of the members over there has given us a little statement to read out. Is that true, Carl? Well, I was looking over on the uh, group and I've noticed that the community member Nathan, Nathan Dane, has been putting together some PCB circuits for a particular device to do with teletext. Now, I sort of wanted to know what that was, so I did contact Nathan and he was kind enough to uh, give us a few words to let us know where he is with this particular device and he'll explain what it is. Nathan got into Teletext because um, he was given a Raspberry Pi at school and had an interest in broadcasting. Once he tried the usual Raspberry Pi stuff, he thought it'd be interesting to replicate old broadcast items. He searched around for stuff and he started with NICAM Digital Stereo. Do you remember that, Dan? And then remembered about CFAX and found the VBIT Pi project. So um, everything's dovetailing in nicely. And as you can imagine, like the rest of us, he got a bit obsessed. The Envision decoder that he's building started out with an STV5348 chip, but the ones that he had didn't work so well, so he had a look around for an alternative and came up with an SAA5244A chip. They would have been used in TVs around the 90s, and the video output of that chip is RGB, so it goes through a CXA1645P to get the encoded signal into a normal power signal that you and I would watch on a television controlled by an Arduino via the I2C, which in turn could be controlled by a computer or an infrared remote control or anything as long as you can code it up. He started it mainly because he wanted to replicate pages from CFAX, but also so he could view teletext on any monitor, even a projector. You know, so you don't just have to use an old CRT, you could actually project it onto a large um, projector. At the moment, he's looking at costings for this when it's finally done, but he's expecting it to be around a 30 or 40 pound mark, and he's still putting the final touches to the PCP design, and the prototype at the moment that he's working on is working really well. So what that is, actually, it will it'll allow you to take teletext on the move, Dan. So Ooh. you wouldn't really have to set anything up. So it'd be really good for festivals, you know, exhibiting and good for special effects as well. So if you wanted to sort of like have block teletext graphics and the like, maybe behind a performance of some some sort or whatever, that'd be absolutely brilliant as well. So it's going to be another thing that would be uh, could be used in addition to uh, the Raspberry Pi. Excellent. So... Um, yeah, so no, thanks to uh, Nathan for that. You can catch up with Nathan and everybody else on the Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teletext group, as you've already said, Then Yes, I have to credit Nathan Dane massively, because if anybody's working on a return for pages from CFAX, it's him. He is currently, at time of broadcast, showing every week a selection of pages from CFAX, these are recreated CFAX pages with new news, latest up-to-the-minute news. Not from 2010 or whatever, but from now. 
he's doing real tennis text, real live tennis yes. text at the moment. So uh, yeah, excellent. And I would like to buy one of those decoders, uh, the machines that he has. One of those things would be really useful for me that I could stick it into maybe a projector as a gallery or something and show people teletext. Yeah, that'd be absolutely brilliant. We'll be uh, speaking to other people from the Facebook group and on Twitter who have got an interest in teletext. There'll be a few more of these coming up. If you do want to add anything yourselves, guys, please do. We'll accept any MP3. You could even ring into us while we're actually doing a recording or um, even join us for a show. Or if you just want to put some words down for us to read out, that's absolutely fine because without everybody taking an interest, there'd be nobody listening to this. So, um, mm. yeah, the more the merrier. You can get in touch with us in the normal ways. Yes. All that fantastic stuff is coming up in the future, but you'll have to wait and see what happens. Because who knows what the future might bring. Maybe tomorrow Teletex might be back. We'll wake up, the sun is in the sky, there are no clouds, there's no wind, and you turn on the television, and there is Teletex in all its glory, just like it was in the 90s. And then you wake up. Now this box of tricks allows me to look, first of all, at interactive text. Now at the moment, of course, you can get text on CFAX. What you can't get is pictures and graphics like these. So what I do is if I want to hear about the news of the day, I press my little button here. I select news at the menu at the top here, press my select button, go for world news, and I select that. I want the second item, and it's now loading that. Now I may want to go back and look at the weather for the day. So I go back to the menu at the top of the screen there, and it's just loading that. And up comes a map of the southwest with six pages. So I can select the page I want, the third page, by the time it's got to afternoon, and it's beginning to cloud over a bit. Now, here I'm only able to look at graphics and text or the moving picture. What will happen one day, though, is I'll be able to put the moving picture on there with the graphics and text, that I can choose information about the picture as I'm watching the picture. For example, this is what Wimbledon would have looked like this year with full digital television. What do you think are the chances that something like the BBC red button teletext technology will become available for people to mess around with like teletext? Do you think the chances are low that we can uh, reverse engineer or it might be made open source the technology that they use to construct the current red button service in the same way we might construct TFAX? I would imagine at some point something would be able to be done with that. I think that would take people leaving the industry, bringing back some of their expertise for them to uh, either reverse engineer or replicate circuits or programs. So it could be done very much in a similar respect to how uh, Teletext has taken off with the community. The thing that I always struggle with with the um, red button is that it mixes with the image behind it. So there's no ubiquitous look to an interactive service like there was with teletext so recreate that particular look it's more of a challenge because you don't have a black background and people won't necessarily know exactly what you're looking at because it just hasn't reached as many people one thing that i'd be interested to know and um, i'm hoping that we can get hold of uh, the alumni who have sort of pioneered teletext recovery is um i've got a really strong feeling that you won't be able to recover the signals of the interactive service in the same way that people have managed to um, recover VBI signals from tape, mainly because no one's recording 
um, right, on right. modern technology through tape. And also, it's probably encoded in an MPEG format, so it's probably going to be a lot more difficult to do. But, you know, you can never say never, because at the mm. end of the day, pages were never meant to exist past the point that they were updated. You know, these guys have been at true time travellers, and they've brought that back. You can never say never, but it's whether the challenge is there. I mean, you know, people do this thing out of either love or curiosity or, or a challenge. But what we need to do is start our campaign to get everyone using this service so they can fall in love with it very quickly. And then they can go, yes, that's a really good page. We can recreate that. We can do this and we can do that maybe. And hopefully throughout our series, you know, we can be speaking to people who are pioneering some new techniques in mixing TV signals or, de or decoding in line with teletext technology. And they're going to be the people that might actually bring that forward. But do we choose to go forward or do we stay where we are? Because there's, there's plenty of things that we still need to find out there for, for teletext recovery. I read the other day that BBC ran a uh, boat race live coverage on CFAX where they had two um, square blocks going up and down a graphic of the Thames so we knew <laughs> where uh, Oxford and Cambridge were. Now, to me, that is the holy grail. And if you can hear that, that's the gauntlet being thrown down to our teletext recovery people to get me that, <laughs> to get me that slide so we can uh, recreate it. We can add that to the list of teletext holy grails that can go alongside the infamous accidental posting of the Queen Mother Has Died test teletext page. But we'll, uh, but we'll not mention that, shall we? It's another thing, isn't it, where we're wrong but not for long. That's the phrase that they use in uh, news things, where they can say they're wrong but not for long. But <laughs> I, I like that term. It's great, isn't it? Wrong but not for long. It's apparently it's, it's quite well used in journalism, but um, that's all I know about that. <laughs> so every so everything that's wrong eventually becomes right at some point. You mean? Well, yes. Some twenty-four hour news companies have been guilty of being wrong, but not for long. Where they they'll say, "Oh yeah, we've got breaking news where you know something horrible has happened. There's been like a catastrophe somewhere, and the estimates of, of the people who are unaccounted for." are higher than what the official sources are saying. But you can be wrong, but not for long, because you can look at the event and actually make a call and say, OK, well, people have come and watch us because we've got a newer, higher amount of victims in, in a particular thing, and they'll keep watching us, then watch our advertisements between the bulletins, right. and then the official will come out a day later and then match the amount. So it's a double-edged thing where you can actually be wrong, but right in the end and then it makes you look an even better news reporting service because you got in before everyone else was doing it. It's an interesting concept that because I'm sure it's very closely related to the concepts of the news making the news. The news might make an assumption on something and then other people report that as fact because say BBC News said that this or that happened and then that gets re-reported by, I don't know, Sky Sports News or something about some transfer that some footballer has made. And then all of a or, sudden... Or, be... Yeah, yeah, or, some, or someone that got hit by some member of public that hit a politician that was tweeted by a news correspondent for a major news outlet. And it became true right up to the point where um, it wasn't actually true at all. But the damage had already been done, and that, that's something that's very, very recent. So, yeah, that's been wrong, 
but not for long. But now that will be one of them false memories that we might touch upon in another episode. Ah, yes. We all have to be careful in the modern age of 24-hour rolling news stations and no more teletext, but the internet, because people can literally post anything. It's the same sort of situation where if you read something on Twitter and it seems like it's true, it sounds like it could be true, then you automatically believe it's true without checking it. And that is a blight on modern news reporting, I would say. Whereas with Teletext, there was less of a problem because you could trust these guys. These people were fact-checking. Yeah. They were actual people who'd researched this topic for a long time and yes. gone to great lengths to phone people, write to people... Te- yeah, yeah, Teletext was the arbiter at the end of the day. I mean, if you went running into the office and you'd say, all right, okay, I've got this story that um, I'm, I'm sure of the original people who run the Teletext service, I'm sure that the Queen Mother wouldn't have died on that particular day that she didn't because people would have been there to fact-check it. But as these services get run down and cut and less expertise is there between the news story and it going up on the screen, less fact-checking is going on because there aren't the people there to do it, maybe. Yes. And also because everybody is a news reporter now, in inverted commas. Like I said, you could just post something on Twitter and if people see it and enough people believe it, then it becomes true This has definitely happened in the past with things on Wikipedia, where anybody can put anything. Somebody comes across something on an article and then reads it out on a podcast or a radio station, and they might have to post an apology saying, Last week, we said that Batman weighs 57 stone. We apologize for this oversight. Yes, he's obviously 58 stone. (laughs) We read it from Wikipedia without checking the sources. It's not our fault, Gov, but the damage has already been done. People don't listen to the apology. They just listen to the sensationalist news story about an overweight Batman. Mm. Indeed, and that's another argument for when when you get it wrong, you should print it in the same size of the time when you actually decreed that the truth. So if it's a headline that's on the front page, there's an argument to say that the apology should feature on the same page of where the error was made in exactly the same size instead of errors and omissions on page 14 next to the obituaries. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's a totally different story altogether, I guess, and one that deserves further exploration in the future. I, I can ju- Yeah, we, we can justify this. I mean, it's a teletext podcast, guys, obviously, so we'll, <laughs> we'll stick on teletext. But I think that that's a good way to build the world that we're in at the moment. And this is the world that's now saying that we don't need a red button service. So because we, we don't need to know what the real truth is anymore, because 80% of people have got phones so they can read all the bullshit they like on Twitter. I think as a last talking point on this, the red button service... I really do believe it's all about saving money because it is well publicised that the BBC are trying to make cuts. They've already cut numerous employees and salaries, I believe. People say that they could be doing more in that way, but they definitely have started to do that. And there is another service that is very, very similar to the Red Button service. I was using it just the other week, actually. On my DVD set-top box, there is a BBC News app, which is very, very similar to the Red Button service, and you can navigate it using your remote control. 
click on links, etc., and you get access to a lot more than you could on the BBC Red Button. For, right. for example, you can click on a video and it will show it to you. But the problem with that is, it doesn't come packaged, that particular news app, with every TV like the BBC Red Button service is. That is broadcast mm. like a TV show. It's not an app that you can download. It's yeah. broadcast as standard along with the TV show. Okay, that be so. Is that on a particular model of player that you've got? Is uh, what what make is that? <laughs> I think it might be a Philips one, actually, a Philips DVD. But you have access to all sorts of things on that, like Netflix. So I've deliberately ignored that, thinking it was just the same as what I had on my telly. But I should investigate that and and do a walkthrough. So I think I've got a um, I've got a Sony one that does something very similar downstairs. So I'll have a look at that. I'll investigate and report back in a later episode of that. Day yes, it's, and it's, uh, see how we get on. Yes, it's not teletext, but it's a little bit like teletext in that it's something that you can use on your television. It's not quite the BBC Red Button, but it might fulfil some of the needs that those people who unfortunately can't use the internet, or smartphones, etc. Well, that's an interesting thing, because why do we uh, bash on about something that only 20% of people use, according to that incisive bit of statistics that was uh, originally mentioned? There's a lot of people that take this for granted, because you can use a phone, and you think you can get your news and all that from elsewhere, but who is not speaking up at the moment are the people that need to use it because they're not able to speak up. Does anyone still use the red button? I think you do, Dan. Yes, I actually do. The story behind this goes back a couple of years. In fact, I've always used the red button. I've always used it occasionally to check football scores, etc. It's a matter of convenience, really. If I don't have an iPad or a phone with me, sometimes learning up stuff on the television is just the easiest way to go. However, a couple of years ago, I had an operation on my chest, and in my recuperation time, I wasn't able to use an iPad or even the computer. So if I wanted news, etc., I had to either watch BBC News, which I can't be bothered doing that, or load up the BBC Red Button Teletext service. So it became quite useful to me in those weeks when I was stuck in bed, I could use teletext to... Oh, sorry, I could use the BBC Red Button service to keep up with everything that was going on in the outside world. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It is a convenient way of doing it. You've got inbuilt providence. I mean, it's a proper curated service where people can rely on what's actually um, being said on there most of the time, unless the Queen Mother's involved, of course. <laughs> but um, the, the stories of people... Who in sport, Bruce Rioch, who was the Queen's Park Rangers assistant manager in 1997, he actually got the sack and found out on teletext. Now, he's quoted as saying that he only found out he got the sack when he was looking up the latest developments on a tragic murder of a young lady that year. And that's when he found out. So, two things going on there. They've managed to get a report of someone getting a sack before the guy knows about it, which is brilliant journalism. Probably, uh, you know, first-class shithousery from, from the football club in question, but still very good journalism and very well reported. And also, the guy who got the sack, old Bruce Rioch, was actually checking teletext for the latest developments in, in an ongoing um, murder case. Oh, dear. 
you can't make a joke out of that, really. But oh. um, it's just sort of, it just goes to show, though, that um, people are and were using it. <laughs> And they still will. If it's there, people will use it. They built the hacienda, and people came. Um, you know, and and it's it's the same thing with, with with this. You take it away, people probably won't miss it because they don't know what to miss, and that's that's probably the tragedy about it. I'm I'm looking at the maths here at 39 million. I'm not sure how many purported salaries uh, would have to be cut for that, but um, I, I'd like the guy that's calculated 39 million to run this uh, service. Um, you know, I'd like him to do my books. I really would. <laughs> 39 million what could you buy with that we could bring back teletext with it yes <laughs> please BBC I'm writing a letter right now dear BBC please can we have the 39 million pounds a year you use on the text service so we can bring back teletext excellent okay so That's... here's the maths for you you're not, you're not a smoker Dan but if you can get your fag packet out, turn it around, get your pen, right, we'll do a fag paper calculation now. The Raspberry Pi has now become, I think, it's now outsold the Commodore 64 as the um, biggest selling single model of computer out there, okay? So I'm not sure how many the Commodore 64 sold, but it was a lot. The Raspberry Pi, that means that there's more people with a Raspberry Pi than there are people with Commodore 64s in the whole world. Oh. How much is TFAX? TFAX doesn't cost anything to install. So there you go. You can get everybody back up and running on a Teletext service with TFAX in now. And that can be done tomorrow for free. Peter's not asking for any money. Hold on there. I still kind of want to be given this £39 million a year. They don't have to know. They don't have to know that Tfax is a free service, and we can host it out of our living rooms. We can just take the thirty-nine million and say, "Yeah, we've got this expensive equipment that we need to use, and in fact, we'll do it for thirty-five million a year." Sold. Yeah, they're not using the detector vans anymore. We could use them as delivery vehicles. <laughs> we could buy a TV detector van. And we could be the Teletext squad going around in an old converted TV licensing van and go around and just leap out the back of the van, walk into someone's house, hook up a Raspberry Pi and bugger off again. <laughs> That'd be yes. quite good. Teletext Fact. You can make pages load faster by mashing the hold button as quickly as possible. Teletext Fact. I once navigated to CFAX page 999 by accident. Turns out it's a kill screen and blows your TV to bits. Teletext Fact. Toxith O'Grady of Bootle holds the current world record of most Teletext pages eaten in one hour. 45.
if you want to contact the show, you can contact us at the handle at Teletextar. Uh, that's T-E-L-E-T-E-X-T-R. Or you can contact that other Carl at that other Carl, and that's with an underscore between the that and the other Carl bit. So you can do that as well. Or you can contact Dan, and because Dan's got such a great handle, we're going to sing this one. If you want to contact me, this is where to go. I double L A R T E R A T E on Twitter and hey. Instagram. Yes. <laughs> so you're illiterate. 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 I'm going to yeah, actually phonetically spell that. I'm going to do that. Illiterate. Illiterate, yes. Right. Illiterate. 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 Oh, illiterate. Yeah, but it's This is how I spell it. E E L. A rate, illiterate. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I double L A R T E R A T E. Oh, is somebody calling into the show right now? Yeah, yeah. We got we got a phone in. Hello. Let me see. Hello. 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 Live on the Teletext Star podcast. Can you hear me? Hello. Hello. Live. Yeah. No, no, he hung up, mate. Oh, he hung up. He's gone. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> That's good. Nick. We'll keep oh, that in, I think. <laughs> never mind. Yeah, I don't know if you picked up any audio there, but it was uh, like a bot or something like that who's uh, trying to fleece me for some money. Wouldn't that have been strange if somebody actually did ring in to say, "Hello, I want a clip on the Teletext Star podcast. I want to. <laughs> I want to appear now. It's a phone-in, isn't it?" Well, I'm afraid that's the end of this episode of the Teletext Star podcast. Join us again next week when we uncover lost members of the Digitizer writing staff. Mr. Corky, Mr. Whiz on My Chips, and Mr. Roger the Dodger. Not forgetting Mr. Fun-Size Dandy. Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs>